Welcome to Trailer Therapy, a podcast about trailers, media, and entertainment hosted by your two best frenemies. Hey, I'm your host, Brian Wynn, along with my fellow host, Brian McKinney. Hey, I'm Brian McKinney, and welcome back to another session of Trailer Therapy with Brian and Brian. Episode 8. Episode 8. <laughs> I had it's to look the at the Ocho. <laughs> I had to look at the top header to see what episode we were on. I'm like, man, I'm pretty sure we've done like 30 of these. <laughs> we're going to get to 30 one of yeah. these days. We're wow. cutting it closer and closer each time. Yeah, this one's basically going to go live in about an hour. <laughs> but Big Bri, busy mixing trailers. No, no, man. It's, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a crazy week for both of us, you know, and not to mention we have Thanksgiving week coming yeah, tomorrow. Yep. And then following that, you know, we have the holiday rush, which both personally and professionally, because uh, trailers got to go out and it always seems to be thrown onto the publishers, like literally like the last minute, you know, so I know that we're all going to be pretty slam here in the next week or so. Yep, got to feed the machine. You know, when I was just doing like TV and film pitching, it yeah. definitely was. It seemed like everyone just took December off. So it's like basically don't even try to pitch stuff for TV shows. Yeah, it's well in in trailer world. It's there's a two week hiatus. Um, the the week of Christmas going into the week of New Year's and stuff like that. I've noticed there's always like a a lull right there at the end of the year, which is perfect because inadvertently it's like a two week vacation for everyone on this side at least you know so for for me it's always been hard to kind of take a week off here or there like you know since me and you've been kind of hanging out i don't think you've ever seen me take a vacation mm -hmm. and it's literally only the 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 two weeks in december that i like just have there because i know it's gonna like die out for two weeks before we start back on like strong at the first of the year yeah, and it's going to be a little extra crazy this year because the strikes ended, and I know everyone's just yeah. kind of gearing up to go into battle mode. So that's going to be uh, kind of a new experience. Yeah, no, like we recently saw some movies that got shelved um, get put right back up, you know? So, you know, it's it's interesting to see what it's going to be like in a couple weeks to see how much the strike has affected, you know, because we, you know, from our side, we've seen so many changes, even in just the last three years, we saw COVID and we saw what that did to agencies. We saw the, the, the rubber band bounce back after that. And then immediately after that, we fall into this like few month period where there was a strike, you know? So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And it's interesting because I remember when uh, the strike first started, someone really talked on the forum like, man, there's a, like a lot of like, it, is marketing going to slow down? Is marketing going to slow down here? And in my head, I always knew that if anything, you got to double down on it because there's no press junket. There's no talk shows. Like if you look at campaigns like, I don't know, let's just throw one for example. Look at Migration. That's on trailer three. Right. You know? Yeah. Like Deadpool didn't even get three trailers. And you're looking at Migration, which is an animation by Universal, and they're like, we got to do three trailers, um, and we're going to just keep reminding people that it exists because, because no the one birds in it. couldn't get eaten on yeah. hot ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the birds can talk and self-promote their movie and stuff. So, you know, I think it, it really hurt uh, some movies, the lack of talk shows, but fortunately it ended like right the day the Marvel's release. So they were able to do some sort of cleanup afterwards and stuff. But at that point, the damage was kind of done. You know, you're looking at $20, $30 million sort of uh, um, box office numbers for the opening weekend. You know, like, I don't know, you even saw D Daisy Ridley's movie who she couldn't even talk. I didn't even know she made a movie. And the movie made like under a million dollars opening weekend. Yep. Yep. There are a couple that just like f flew under the radar and no one even knew yeah. about it. And those, you know... They were never going to be $25 million openings, but without Daisy Ridley able to go out there and do these things, yeah, you know, it's just, they, they were never going to even hit anywhere close to that. And then the TV and film side was like totally dead, just like with COVID, you know, there were so many music supervisors that were just out of work because shows weren't being made. And I, I couldn't 
pitch music to them. Like bands are still putting out albums and I'm like, I just, I can't send it out. I feel bad because these people aren't working. So they don't really want to, you know, go through and listen to all this music. And I'm like, Hey, use our music on your TV show. That's not on the air. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. You know, and if you send it now during a hiatus period, it's going to be on the bottom of the list when uh, everything starts picking back up again. They're not going to remember like, Oh yeah, I remember McKinney sent me it like the day of the strike. You know? Yeah, exactly. But at least the trailer stuff, like, yeah, it slowed down for some people more than others, but it never totally stopped. No, exactly. And that, and who knows, maybe that is still going to come. And because I remember they anticipated the strike lasting all the way into the end of December. Yeah. And if that were to happen, it would have been like a six month lull maybe afterwards. But everyone that's been in the custom side or the just in general, the trailer side, we've been working on just all post production stuff now since what? When did the strike start? Like July or August yeah, or something? It's like 180 days ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, we've just been working on post stuff. Uh, there was only like one or two projects that I was working on out of like any out of x amount that i felt like was really affected by the strike but all that meant for us was we just had to shelve it and then maybe come back to it later but that's literally the same thing that happened to us during covid i remember we were working on a ton of projects covid happened and more than half of them didn't come out for another year or two years plus so like when 2020 uh, or 2021 or whatever it was came around it just felt like we had a lot of our trailers start playing because honestly a lot of those were shelved I remember we were working on Finch or something. Oh, yeah. And that was a universal film at that point. And uh, it went away. It was called something else. And it went away. And we just didn't even think about it. And then a year and a half later, it comes back. and like, oh, yeah, it's called Finch now. And it's going to come out like next week. You know? <laughs> so that it's the like Tom Hanks one? Yeah, yeah. It was a Tom Hanks and the Robot yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, uh, we did the, what was it? Oh, was it? oh, yeah. It was a cover of True Romance by Hans Zimmer, the score. Mm. You know, so like, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. So who knows? That could be one of those things. But I just felt like it didn't last long enough for there to be crazy a ripple effect yeah, that's going to last, you know. There'll be a little rubber banding as we kind of readjust and get back on it. But hopefully yeah. not too bad. You know, the writers, at least the writers strike ended a little earlier. So the writers had a couple weeks to, to write some stuff. <laughs> now the yeah. actors can come in and film it. Yeah. yeah I just feel bad. Like, you know, like my, my uncle, that's all he does is he builds sets for TV shows oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So like for 180 days, he had to like pick up side gigs and stuff like that just to like wait it out, you know? And it's, it's hard. You know, I get it. I get it for the industry and I get that it's beneficial for the industry. But I'm like, I just think about they're not so much the blue collar worker, but they're definitely like the unrecognized talent that has, oh, yeah. that, you know, that had to be out of work for, you know, to accommodate everyone else. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad, you know, hey, I'm glad it all worked out. And yeah. um, I I think it's interesting because I definitely saw a lot of scabbing going on during uh, during this uh, strike period, and it was only 180 days. Like people could not hold 180 days to do stuff, and they, you know, chose the scab, which you know, <coughs> <Drew Barrymore. clears throat> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, they, if, you know, for other people who don't know, scabbing is people who like uh, kind of like take advantage take advantage of uh, the union situation. Yeah, yeah, crossing the picket line. I learned that. 180 days ago <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> when i was reading the sad guidelines <laughs> it, you know luckily we had a few studios who were willing to to ad- admit that the strike was was worth something early like a24 and they actually yeah. met they met all of the demands uh earlier so they were able to continue with those things and you know yeah uh, they were overseas they had like stuff eight, there was like 18 projects or something like that that got exempted yeah and then there was like overseas stuff video game stuff i think maybe commerce you know there were some rules and some exemptions but yeah for the most part it was definitely wasn't the actors who were most affected by the strike it was the the other people in the five minute long credits at the end of a movie the set builders and the you know food services and everybody geez yeah, no, definitely. You know, and a lot of these people, they don't they don't realize this also. They're part of like their own type of union for uh, insurance purposes also. So they rely on these like set building jobs and stuff like that in order for them to qualify for insurance, you know. So they like legitimately had to like hustle <laughs> during this period. Rough. Yeah, rough. But hey, we're on the other side of it and hopefully we stay that way for a little while. 
No, I agree. I agree, man. But, you know, I feel like because me and you started doing this podcast, we don't talk as much during the week because we're like, oh, we'll just <laughs> we probably save it. I've got to save our chemistry for uh, the podcast. And, you know, what's what's been going on, man? What's been going on with you this week? I've had a lot of nights to myself, so I've watched a lot of movies. Um, I haven't really played any games, to be honest. I've just like some iPhone stuff here and there. I need to get back yeah. into cyberpunk. But I, I watched, so I watched Wind River, which was brutal, really good movie. Um, and then I like, I was so upset after watching that, that I had a, I had to have like a palate cleanser. And then, so I watched <laughs> Downsizing thinking that would be a, a comedic. And no, that was really depressing, <laughs> shockingly depressing. Uh, and I watched The Killer, the David Fincher one, not the John Woo one. Everyone keeps telling me to watch it. It's good. It's very good. But the first 30 minutes of it is basically just like um, Michael Fassbender sitting in an empty room doing voiceover. And so I was like, I text you, I'm like, this is the best audiobook I've ever read. Because <laughs> it's just yeah. Michael Fassbender talking for like 30 minutes before anything happens. Still Man. really, really good. David Fincher is amazing. Um, I watch I watched Downsizing a few years ago uh, when it first came to streaming and stuff. And I don't know, man. Um, like, I, and the only reason I'm reminded of it other than you talking about it right now was I just went over to see my mom last Tuesday. And I walked in when she was finishing the movie. Oh. <laughs> and uh, she looked at me and she said the same exact thing I said. She says, wow, the female actress has re- speaks really good Vietnamese. But man, her English and Vietnamese accent is like completely off-putting to the movie. <laughs> it's it's almost like racist, right? It's like yeah. a I, super I, exaggerated. Yeah, like I was like, I'm not offended by it, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, man, like my mom is like fresh off the boat. Like, you know, when she came over here and I swear to you. She does not sound like that, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, but other than that, um, yeah, that's that's why I thought about that movie immediately when it came to my mind. Yeah, I Do didn't you know? realize. So I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, wow, there's, like, a very strong, like, <laughs> Vietnamese lead. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Brian Wynn is Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah, so it's just I just thought it was really funny just because there's a specific line that she kept repeating over and over, which I want to keep this PG to PG-13, so I'm not going to repeat it. But, man, when she says it, oh, man, I was like, oh. ooh, you know. <laughs> yes. I was just like, ooh, this is rough. And she says it a lot. So That, that was actually a really funny scene. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and then, I was, I was, oh, sorry. Then I, I watched Blue Beetle. On oh, HBO yeah. that came that hit HBO Max. Yeah, on I was Friday. Say, I just watched that too. Um, oh, we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then today I went and saw the Marvels with uh, my two younger kids and had a good time. That was a good movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's that's still on my list, man. Because I really like the actress who played uh, Miss Marvel, and mm-hmm. I actually really liked her show. <laughs> It was cool, yeah. I mean, it definitely was skewed more towards my kids, you know, like tweens and kind of yeah. youthful. But I loved how they integrated all like the animation and, you know, it was just I, I enjoyed it. But it definitely wasn't necessarily for yeah. forty year old dudes. There, there's two things I call out on the Miss Marvel show, uh, which is one the episode with the fl- with the time travel mm-hmm. that was great, that was riveting. And then the fact is the last needle drop song that they play in the show is Jai Wolf's Indian Summer. And I remember when uh, I was, I thought I was going to get the project in and in my head, I'm just like formulating what songs I would love to like trailerize for the trailer. And that was the song that was on the top of my list. And to see them like kind of do it, I'm like, oh, I'm on the same page, you know. (laughs) Funny. Um, Yeah, I watched Blue Beetle. It was fine. Uh, I'll never watch it again. But yeah, uh, yeah. But there were two, but there were some really good moments that I felt like the composer really wanted the next job, so he worked really hard on this picture because there were moments where I felt like this was one of the better scored um, mm. DCU projects uh, as of late when you compare it to Shazam or uh, what was the last one I watched, The Flash or something like that. This one definitely had like 
some really riveting borderline stranger things moments um i even went back on youtube and looked up the score um in certain moments there's this track. oh yeah 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 i noticed yeah, that too there's Realm. a lot of arpeggios and like yeah 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 and stuff. Yeah, and there's a scene where, you know, it's not really a spoiler. The movie's been out for like six months. But there's a scene where he like goes inversely into his own universe and stuff like that. And he becomes one with the Blue Beetle. Oh, and yeah. And the music that plays there is so good. I remember stopping. I'm like, man, the composer really wanted to get more work after this. <laughs> he, was, he was chewing the scenery. I, I mean, I liked all the actors. I liked all the characters, the performances. Yeah. I just, the story was a little derivative. I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm tired. Like, I remember messaging some of my clients afterwards. I'm like, am I growing up or do I just not care? Like, you know? Um, and then uh, I'm actually halfway through the creator right now. Oh, cool. I, I paused I, yeah. it because I you said you already. The other night. Yeah, I uh, I paused it because you said you were home. So I was like, all right, pausing it. Finish later. <laughs> we had another week of trailers and... You know what's funny? My favorite trailer that came out this week came from you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm not even just saying that because like you know me, I never just say that. So when when it came out, I I kid you not, I really didn't care about the movie, but the the music, I pl- I played it once on my phone and then I got halfway through it on my phone. I stopped it and I went to my TV on my soundbar and I watched it. Then it was so good. I turned it off. What went upstairs to surround sound and I pushed it again Ah. and it sounded great. And like my arm hair like was raised the entire time. So it was really good. As much as I don't like admitting my competitors do good work, I uh, commend you. The trailer in question is unsung hero, which, which was a Lionsgate trailer cut by bond and music by brash. Yeah, it was a a cover of the Cranberries' "Dreams," uh, done by our very own Joe Totino, yeah. with a songwriting duo out of Europe called Dream a Lot, and we had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, and I agree, I I'm not super interested in the film. Unfortunately, it's just not my cup of tea. It's faith based. Yeah. It's about a um, a Christian country rock band called For King and Country. Um, who are super popular. I just don't know much about them. Yeah. And, you know, Tim, and he's a producer at Bond. He just, he was posting about it and I thought he really said it nicely. He said, faith-based trailers are their own art. How much faith? How can we make it broad without alienating the core? And he said, you know, putting this one together was an uphill battle, but with creative traps at every turn, but, you know, the team was able to knock it out of the park. And yeah, that's how I felt too. When I first found out that it was faith-based, I was like, that's ah, not really my thing. I, I'm not really like excited f- to see the film or anything like that. It's not like the new like Marvel or Disney or like, you know, whatever yeah. thing that I would normally like be like, got to see it in the theater. But when I saw the trailer drop earlier this week, I was like, oh my God, they did so good. They cut this so well. They used the music so well that I was just blown away. Yeah, no, like uh, thinking about it, from a creative standpoint, I think it's crazy that like it's a it's a movie about a band and they don't use that really, band's music. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, the new Mean Girls trailer that was a musical but didn't use any of the music in it, you know. But like yeah. I think for something like this was a very bold choice because it wasn't so much about highlighting um, this band's kind of art, but it's really about the art of the whole thing. Like like you said, it's a faith based thing, so it wanted to paint a color and wanted to be a little bit more generalized for like a like a big demographic so i think uh it did a really good job even uh even my wife was listening because i had it i was just blasting it in the house and she's like she's like is that the cranberries i'm like yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would you know it i feel like it's one of those home run mu- uh, music that like it could have been put on anything and it would make the trailer stand out so yeah, we still have it available, so hit me up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I had a lot of people reach out to me and be like, oh, that was such a great custom that you did. Well, it actually wasn't a custom. I reached out to Dream a lot and was like, I would love to, you know, we were getting ready to, to do some covers and yeah. I was thinking about ideas. I'm like, hey, I would really love for you guys to do Dreams by the Cranberries. And they did it and I pitched it for a couple of things and Bond used it. 
and I was very happy. Yeah, no. It's... Yeah, so it's it's not always customs, but you know what? They cut it so well that uh, just the the way that they blended it with the trailer, it yeah, sounded it makes, it makes like it feel a custom. like a custom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a true testament to your ability to hear things that you want desperately to kind of get get on screen, and I feel like that passion kind of bleeds through to what projects you actually land and stuff. Like I was telling you the other day, I'm like, man, God forbid the day you wanted to land all the trailers, <laughs> like the way you push for horror trailers and stuff like that. If you put that same amount of effort into like the rest of them, we're all in trouble. <laughs> we'll get there. I'm just slowly, slowly taking it over piece by piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what? By next year, this time, we're just going to be talking about all your trailers every week. <laughs> let's hope. No, just kidding. Oh, let's talk about one of your trailers, Madam Web, Sony's new film, the Marvel film in the Spider-Man universe. Cut by Wildcard with music by Ghost Rider. It was oh, a yeah. custom remix of Billie Eilish's Bury a Friend. Yeah, you know, we uh, it was definitely an on-trend type project in terms of the demographic I think they're trying to hit, you know. Um, and it's cool. Uh, Michael Lee did the custom on it, and he has always expressed to me how much he wanted to work on, like, a Spider-Man S or Spider-Verse type film. So, you know... This was a this was a uh, custom, you know, that, you know, we've had in our back pocket since since like 2017. And it was it, you know, it definitely needed to be changed up for this particular campaign and stuff. But he man, he 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 rolls with the best of them when it comes to like really frenetic neoclassical strings and tension strings and stuff like that. It's just it's so hard to like think of anyone else that can do it as good or better than michael lee he's just he's he's just he's a powerhouse and yeah it was a it was a great cut you know i was really curious to see it because for the longest time for like i think the last year and a half we've only seen one screenshot of Mm -hmm. the film so like i thought i thought it was just gonna be a drama man like Mm -hmm. how it was described to me was it was just like a drama like no cgi no in my head i was just thinking it was going to be like this down to earth maybe like an eight million dollar film and then i watched the trailer it's like explosions and everyone's (laughs) in their spider-man uniform outfits and stuff like that there's like crazy amount of cgi i'm like oh my god i didn't think like like um but yeah it was cut really well i think uh it was uh done really well by everyone kind of involved in that and uh yeah we're always stoked you know what i noticed we don't really do a ton of sony projects so whenever we do it's like it's always like a fun little thing you know yeah it's nice to switch it up a little bit huh yeah so it's cool (laughs) but yeah other than that there were you know crazy bunch of trailers that came out this uh this week you know we got chris pratt in a new role he's garfield now (laughs) (laughs) he's Uh, taking over he's a voiceover i like that he doesn't change his voice at all it's just him (laughs) it's me garfield (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh you know open road cut that piece i think they just i think it was just an artist cue i don't really think there was really anything customized not that anyone really mentioned it yeah um yeah other than that one there was also percy jackson and the olympians which if anyone knows i'm a huge fan of the book series i have um all five books of that series and then i have like three spin-off series yeah he's written like 50 other books that are adjacent (laughs) yeah well you know i don't want to go too much into spoiler territories but like (laughs) his spin-offs are like time jumps and then like maybe characters come back from other book series into that one it's like the avengers like seriously if disney plus can just do it right with this with this series just keep going with it and do the they, whole they have universe. 15 seasons worth this worth of material if they go one a book because rick reardon is like behind the screenplay also and like you know it was great but then the trailer was cut by ignition and the music was done by powerhouse creative with a cover nice. of riptide the other one that i liked this week was imaginary yeah it was a horror film another blumhouse um horror film and that was a uh, what was the remix? It was David Butler did it. 
I believe. I just can't remember what it was. Jacopo, I believe. Yes, Jacopo, yeah. Um, That was a cool one. You know, I thought was funny was that, so that's about like a murderous teddy bear. Yeah. But the same day, within two hours, the Ted TV series trailer (laughs) dropped as well. (laughs) You you had the murderous teddy bear. And then, yeah, I'm sure that uh, like Fox was like, oh, let's throw this out real quick. Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny because um, they did the same thing that we've seen a trend of. They did the tease of a tease the day beforehand. So they dropped like a like a five second tease of the trailer uh, for Imaginary. And then, Mm -hmm. boom, it goes right into it uh, the next day. So, yeah. um, I said said Ted the TV show was Fox. I don't know. I was just thinking that it's the family guy. So family guys on Fox. (laughs) I'm talking out of school, though. I don't know actually who the, (laughs) the network is behind that one. You know, you you mentioned Ted. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't even know there was gonna be a Ted TV show. And then I looked online. I'm like, oh yeah. I thought it'd be funny too. If they kind of like cross like cross brand promotion, you know, for both of them. But yeah, it's a it's a cool one, man. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that wraps up our uh, weekend trailers. <laughs> All right, so our main topic this week is one that I f- we felt like we needed to address because we're talking all this like really in-depth insider baseball trailer talk every week, but we've never really explained what trailers are, what the industry is, what the history is. So I feel like if you're just jumping into the show and you've never worked in trailers, you might be confused. So we're like, you know what? Let's do a trailer 101 episode. It might be a little boring, especially if you've worked in this industry, but we'll kind of try to blaze through it just so that people can get out of it what they get out of it. Um, So real quick, the first trailer was in 1913, and it came at the end of the feature, which is why they call it trailers, because it trailed at the end. It was, you know, no sound, so it was a lot of just like moving pictures and uh, title cards which was sort of how trailers went for a while. A lot of title cards and a lot of, um, you know, not really frenetic jump cuts like we see here. And then in the 60s, trailers went under kind of a big facelift with films from like Stanley Kubrick and um, Alfred Hitchcock, where they would have like kind of quick cut montages, little to no text, and made it more of an art. And that was when one of the first trailer houses that came outside of the studios called Kaleidoscope Films was invented. It was basically people from the studios who decided that they were going to venture off and do just trailers as their business. Then in the seventies, you know, we had the rise of the blockbuster, which is like star Wars and jaws and the big summer. Everyone needs to go see this movie and it's bringing in millions of dollars. And it like created like this whole crazy trend of trailers becoming prevalent, more airing on primetime television the studios wanted to put money into them. Sometimes like $100 million go into some of these trailer campaigns. So they were pr- trying to put money into them to bring more people into the theaters. Uh, so f- like the first 50 years or so, trailers were mostly like score from existing films or classical pieces or like popular music, like songs from artists. And then in the 80s, this guy John Beale was one of the first trailer music composers creating music just for trailers and he worked on over 2000 projects during his career then sometime in the early 90s one of the very first trailer music companies came into the scene and that was immediate music and now there's like hundreds and hundreds of people and companies making trailers uh, which is what brian and i do <laughs> and so that's like the real quick rundown of what the trailer history is I'm sure I forgot a lot, but I didn't want to go too into the weeds on this one <laughs> and scare we, everyone we, off. We went from 1914 to Kubrick and then straight to 1990s. <laughs> Boom. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting because way back when you would also hear a lot of recycling of movie scores being uh, translated over into, you know, movie trailer campaigns. You remember, you remember hearing Requiem of a Dream for the Two Towers campaign, you know, for Lord of the Rings. And it was something that like, if it fit the mood, it just kind of worked, you know? And I felt like, uh, you know, music publishers and stuff like that uh, in the early days and stuff, you got like two steps from hell and these companies that started coming in and starting to do 
a specific niche of music that ended up replacing what they ended up doing, which was recycling old movie scores and stuff. Like I remember talking with uh, some old clients and stuff, and that's just kind of what they went with. They're like, all right, what movies are out now? What movie scores can we get our hands on? You know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Or they just like send a runner to the record store and be like, grab, (laughs) you know, a bunch of jazz records or, you know, grab a bunch of classical records. And then they just come and put those down and then license that music. Yeah. So it's crazy how far we've come from it. And like, I remember seeing um, there are a lot of prevalent faces on LinkedIn that kind of like that worked on the original Star Wars or E.T. and worked on all like all this Spielberg stuff. And uh, he told me that like he he talked about it. He just did a Instagram story yesterday where he was showing how he cut the Top Gun trailer. The yeah. original Top Gun trailer is literally splicing and taping and outlining and then putting it back on the roller and then cutting it again and stuff. And that's what you kind of had to do. You know, I feel like now like our phones can even splice video like pretty easily and cut video. You know, back then it was all with a razor blade. Yeah. I, you know, uh, speaking of which, we were talking, uh, I was talking with some composers the other day about AI and that's like kind of a big topic right now is, you know, everyone's worried that the AI is coming after their jobs. Um, but one of the tools that AI does that I thought was really interesting that I heard trailer editors talking about was that they can use AI to find scenes and pull all those scenes together for them to use for cutting trailers. So for instance, they can search for every scene that involves a sun yeah. and every, and, or a light source. So they can like really easily pull up all these scenes where they've got like a sun and then like a light bulb and they can do those cool transitions where you go from like the sun to the light bulb. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's like a, a really interesting AI tool, which is a far cry from cutting with a razor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I think that, uh, we've seen it more and more and it's always a topic that's like very prevalent and stuff like that. And I think that, uh, who was it? It might be a bad source to say, but I think, uh, who was it? It was Michael Bay. Who says that AI can only replicate, it can't innovate, you know? So yeah. as long as you stay creative and stay on top of things, you should be fine. But uh yeah, I've 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 heard stories of that too, using AIs like keywords. It's kind of like us. We're like, oh, I yep. need a boom right here. I'm gonna type in boom. Like right now, I just go on my server, I'm like, boom, downer. And <laughs> 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 just go through my server of like downers, and I'm like, all right, boom, put it in, you know. So I get it. So you were talking about, it was Benedict Coulter who we were talking about yeah, that yeah. did the Top Gun stuff. Um, so yeah, let's talk about some of the people involved in making trailers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we said like, you know, immediate music and like two steps from hell, all these people that make music, but there's, so you've got composers, publishers, and they're all making the music. Then you've got the people who cut the trailers why don't you explain that a little bit since I just talked all that <laughs> history right. of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, take a break, drink water, <laughs> you know, over at the trailer shop, there's so, there's like so many roles that everyone's there. Um, you know, you got the copywriters, you have the creative directors, the graphic designers, the producers, the editors and the music supervisors, and they all play a part in what gets, you know, what, ends up being the trailer and the campaign and how everything kind of comes together and stuff and uh, how it kind of, you know, filters down to us is for publishers. We're usually dealing with the music supervisor. If the place doesn't have a music supervisors, we're either dealing with either the producer and there are rare cases, but sometimes we just work directly with the editor on the project. It really does depend on, you know, each agency because they're all going to be a little different, but you know, those are like the general rules and stuff. But uh, all all these kind of come together and uh, get this campaign made. Um, I th- don't think I'm missing anybody. <laughs> at, at, I at mean, a yeah, there's show. executives and you yeah. know, senior and assistants, and you know, there's yeah. different like tiers, you know, of of those different positions. But yeah, I think those are like the main positions that are actually cutting together these trailers, and they're getting the movies from the studio. And then so from the studio side, you've got, you know, creative advertising executives, marketing executives um, that are all like getting people to work on the film trailers. And those are people that need to approve the cuts of the trailers 
before they go out to the general public. I mean, sometimes it goes all the way up to the studio head that's looking at these trailers that we're working on before it goes out to the general public. And then there's like focus testing and all, you know, a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes outside of really our purview as trailer music publishers. But yeah, you've also got the the people on the film also have, you know, input into the trailers, the producers and executive producers, the directors, sometimes the stars. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen stories where like Benny was talking about like Tom Cruise is a person who's like was heavily involved and I think still is heavily involved in the marketing for the films that he does. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, hey, hell, sometimes you got the composer of the film weighing in also. <laughs> sure. Which we've seen, uh, you know, especially with uh, um, Dune. Yeah, Dune. And then you also got like the Top Gun and well, not Top Gun. Also, it was uh, Mission Impossible where you got Lauren Balfe coming in and doing the scores himself. John Williams came in to do Indiana Jones, the first teaser, you know, like mm-hmm. there, there are, you know, cases of it where the composer's involved directly also because it's, you know, it's Ludwig Jorensen. Yeah. Yeah. Ludwig. <laughs> Ludwig. Yeah. He's yeah. There's a guy who came, I think he's like, has like a hip hop background and then started composing for films and there, you know, he does such great work that I can go using... on. For, I can go for hours about Ludwig. My, my wife loves his music. Well, one, he like wrote all the music on New Girl, <laughs> the TV show. Yeah. And then from there went to like what Fruitvale Station, onto Creed, onto Black Panther, Black Panther 2, The Mandalorian, Book Maybe of Boba we'll Fett. do an episode, a, a Ludwig episode. Dude, I, I can do a Ludwig episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, all these things kind of filter. And I know that depending on where you are in this industry or the amount of experience you have, you might not have the full scope of it or, you know, or you might think that this is actually an easier path for you to listen to as opposed to before it just feels like you're throwing music into a void, especially on the custom side. It just feels like you're throwing music into a void and, like, you don't know how many people are involved in it and stuff. Yeah. So we're hoping that this is, like, a sort of guiding point because this was kind of how I was taught how trailers were sort of made, you know? Like, I didn't even know that there was, like, a whole mixing, uh, the whole this whole thing that goes on with the mix and color correction and everything like that afterward. I just assume when the editor was done with the trailer, they, like, get it approved and they just, like, post it to boom. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I assumed. They're like, oh, yeah, we could I send this to, like, a mix house and stuff. I'm like, you guys are just going to drop it? And this is literally, like, my first like my first week on the job. I'm like, wait, uh-huh. wait, wait, wait. Someone has to mix it? <laughs> so uh, it's it's crazy to see how many parties there are. Uh, involved in just like a trailer that someone watches and like oh that's cool i mean i'll watch that movie the whole point of the trailer is just for that thought oh maybe i'll watch that movie you know yeah like i uh i get real firsthand experience on how trailers affect people when i have family over Hmm. and they don't really care about trailers and i'll show them a trailer actually this was the blue beetle trailer and they're watching it they're like yeah it's all right it's okay and there was one quick frame of the villain who is susan sarandon yeah and she was like oh i'll watch that movie (laughs) (laughs) damn it janet (laughs) yeah exactly so it's like you get one quick shot or something and it might be the determining factor to get an additional butt in a seat (laughs) yep so one more ticket yeah, that's why, you know, sometimes you'll get back focus uh, testing notes and be like, oh, this one tested better because it had the main, uh, the lead actress in it like a couple frames more. So it drew, it drew in a more positive reaction. So it tested higher. So it's like any little thing can, and that is probably a good topic for another podcast episode, which is like, why customs die (laughs) because there are myriad reasons why custom would die and if your music was on a cut that had two frames less of another female of a female lead as opposed to another cut that had a different custom music on it that had that that could that could always just be the determining factor (laughs) yeah yeah you know we're always doing like 80s remixes which 
seem like they're iconic, but then you're like, oh, well, this movie is kind of geared towards, you know, 25-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the song is awesome, and we're all loving it, but they're like, oh, I don't know what this song is. Is it really worth spending $400,000 to to license it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that that, that kind of brings me to last week's episode where we're like, how much of the remix, how much of the original song do you use in your remix? And in my head, I'm like, as much as you can so that they feel like they, like, earn that for it. (laughs) You know, if if I'm spending, like, $100 $100 on a steak, you best believe I'm going to eat it slowly and enjoy it, <laughs> you know? So that's the same thing with uh, music publishing. So You don't want to put a bunch of ketchup on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so like, you know, from like top down, um, just in the immediate thing, the studio creatives are assigned to X projects in the year. And those 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 people go to their usual clients that they go to. So they go to the vendors, which is usually the producers at the uh, agencies, the trailer houses. The producers might have a meeting with them, have come up with ideas, and then they filter it through to their music supervisors. And that's when you get the, those initial pulls of music. And that's where a lot of those catalog pulls come from, from publishers. And that's how they're pitching for all the music and stuff and needs and if like a publisher is worth their grain and salt, they've already pitched all these musics for the music supervisor to have on file and they go through their archives of stuff. Every music supervisor I've ever talked to has hard drives on hard drives on hard yeah. drives of music. It's 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 intense and it always baffles my mind when they're like, Oh yeah, I remember you sent me this one track just like out of nowhere three years ago. Like, do you have the stems for that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, like the like the right the right track will always find its way to the right project, and if it tends to be a custom or whatever it is, you know, the music supervisor will get it started, um, per directions from the producer, and we're all cranking away on it like we always do with customs. Uh, once they give it, give notes back and forth, and they're happy with it, the editor's working on it. If the editor's super happy on it, that might be like one editor. Usually for some of the bigger temple projects, there's like multiple editors from an agency working on it. And if they're all using you, great. But if not, then you know, you're you're in the you're in the pile at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and then from that process and stuff, it gets sent out to clients and the client might have notes on all of them. The clients might have notes on one of them, which means X amount will die. And either you get a chance to get brought back in or, you know, maybe the next project. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's like general guide points, I guess, like like a real basic kind of form of what the process is. Um, yeah, it all starts from the top and then works all the way down, you know, and then back to the top from, from the yeah, bottom. Exa- exactly. <laughs> and then it goes to focus testing and then, it, and then, uh, then everyone starts sad. all over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know what? That's not, that's not super crazy to hear about sometimes. Sometimes they're just like, ah, we've been running with this idea for too long. The filmmaker wanted this certain idea and everyone's been kind of working on this idea and we're all kind of tired of hearing it. So yeah. let's just change it up. You know, we're not, we're, we're no strangers to that. And in terms of campaign, um, I'll, I'll give the kind of uh, the bullet points of them and then you can elaborate further. But like a lot of these campaigns, they kind of have X amount of tiers. So like you have the teaser, which now it can either be the full teaser, which is under two minutes or it can be a tease of a teaser, which is like a little micro TV spot, basically. But then you got the teaser, then you got your trailer, which is essentially the first form of exposition you're going to get for the film. Then you might get a trailer, too, if it's if it's being marketed like months prior. Um, and then in rare cases, you get a trailer three or a final trailer. Um, you'll notice for a lot of like the big, big tentpole films and stuff like that. You'll get like three trailers. Like best believe you're gonna see like a third trailer for Wonka. You know? Yeah, that's pretty standard now. Yeah, for the for the bigger things. But like I think we were talking earlier, that's kind of become more normal during the strikes. So maybe yeah. that's gonna change how people do things moving forward, even with the strikes being over. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? You know, if we saw a giant box office increase during the strike then it definitely would have set a precedence but because because the box office were kind of meandered <laughs> it was meandering at best um you know who knows but like 
movies that got pushed, you for sure you're going to get a third trailer, even if you didn't think you were going to get one initially. You know, like I didn't think I, for some reason, I think the first was it the first one? I think the first Dune film only had two trailers. It had the teaser and it had right. the trailer. And then there's already been two trailers for Dune Part 2, but the movie doesn't come out till March, March 1st or something. And mm-hmm. you best believe they're going to do a final trailer, probably. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, and you're looking at, you know, some of these campaigns are just super long and drawn out. Wonka got pushed, so you know that they're going to be a third trailer for that one, too. Like we just talked about, Migration had three trailers. And then... Right after the first trailer, there's usually a ton of cut-down TV spots, basically just a shortened version of the trailer to kind of get you to watch it. It might come up as an ad before something, and then they're like, oh, watch the full trailer. So it kind of is more like a call to action, those cut-down spots, and then you have the revolving door of TV spots that roll out towards like the middle to end of the campaign, getting you to pre-order your sales tickets. It's coming out in five days. It's coming out in four days. Oh, it comes out tomorrow. Oh, it's out now. And then they'll do like an accolades TV spot or something. This movie made a hundred million dollars. Critics are saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Critics are saying you should definitely go watch this movie. Which that was Um, like the first major trailer finish that I got was a Doctor Strange 2, like, Critics are saying Doctor Strange, you know, like one of those like 15 second Marvel. But I was like, yes, that, you know, it's Marvel. It's amazing. Uh, I didn't, dude. I, I tried. I tried getting it. I think we had quotes for Doctor Strange too, and just nothing really panned out. I'm like, man, Brash got a Doctor Strange too. Like, I'll, I'll tell this story real quick because it's like, it's really interesting, right? So it was definitely one of our first trailer finishes as a trailer music company. After like, you know, five, seven, seven years maybe in working in sync licensing. And then I transitioned into trailers during the pandemic. And yeah, I had quoted the Doctor Strange campaign, but didn't really think much of it. And then opening night is like that Friday, I was at Doctor Strange (laughs) and I'm watching the movie and then the, you know, the credits are rolling and I'm waiting for like the mid credit teaser stinger to, to pop up. So I'm like my phone had been going off. So I'm like, oh, I better check, make sure everything's okay with the kids. And I'm looking and it's all these messages from composers. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, um, it was so funny. Yeah. The composer who worked in that, Caleb Swift, messaged me. he's like, congratulations. I'm like, what? Congratulations for what? The, the teaser or that 15 second accolade spot <laughs> dropped for Dr. Strange while I was at Dr. Strange. And so I watched it while I was watching the credits and I'm like welling up with tears. I was so emotional. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very like exciting thing when you work in the trailer industry. I don't think it ever really gets old, you know. No, it doesn't. And I know that like it's kind of weird and cheesy to say and stuff because people are like, oh, you know, working in it, it might you might be numb to it when stuff comes out and stuff. And honestly, I'm still excited. You know, I thought I was worried that I wouldn't be excited for my composers to get finished when I kind of step back from composing to yeah. do more producing and stuff. But I'm so proud of it. Like I, yes. I like follow uh, Twitter just to see when stuff drops and stuff. And I'm like just refreshing, refreshing. It's like not yeah. even my. I didn't even write it. It's just like I helped <laughs> produce it. But like I'm just refreshing. I'm like, oh my god! And I messaged the composer immediately and stuff like yes. that. It's there's still a rush to it. And you know anyone that says otherwise. I, that this is just lame <laughs> or, know, or they're like, in it for the wrong reasons <laughs> yeah like I, i'm in it i'm in it for the fact that especially on the custom side too like it's just so cool to kind of be a part of these process you know like think about it it's like a hundred two hundred million dollar movie and somehow somehow your music is represented in these kind of campaigns i still think it's really cool so it's crazy to think about sometimes yeah that you're like involved in getting people to buy these tickets and you're like <laughs> Monday the box office numbers come out and you're like yeah I guess I'm responsible for a little bit of that money aren't I <laughs> you know I just you know maybe the studio should send over like a box of wine or something <laughs> yes yeah that would be funny but, but yeah but yeah like that's like the general process of it and like after the TV spots and stuff there's still there's still a good amount of stuff you still got your your, your social spots and then well after all of that you still have your home entertainment campaign, which, you know, you know, there it's still a, a thing that you got to get done, you know, get people to buy the Blu-rays, get people to know that it's uh, available on demand or something like that. So like a campaign has like a 
relatively long shelf life in terms of when it starts to when it ends. Sure. And there's a lot of opportunities for every campaign, you know, like you take one, that's one campaign that we just talked about. Now multiply that by like a hundred and that's how many they are like coming out every year. So yeah. Wow. But yeah, yeah that's from, a, from the <laughs> yeah, it's a, a lot a of lot information. Of, that was a lot of information we just gave. So I'm like, what do we say now? <laughs> um, but yeah, but then aside from the agency, the studio, and all those involvement and stuff, like we're talking about the publishers also, which you know, for all of us, uh, we you know, either we're wearing a lot of we're wearing a lot of hats, or you know, we kind of have divided the duties among us. So like, just even here. Like, we have producers, we have, um, you know, the custom producers who make sure all the customs are just good and ready to go and making sure that we've all interpreted the notes correctly because it's always super easy to misconstrue what a brief says. Sometimes I do it too. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, like, you know, so there's, there's, there's like a, I guess the point of this whole episode is to kind of shed light on the entire industry in terms of what there is out there and know that there is so many parties that you kind of have to get your music over in like all these obstacles before it actually reaches the screen, you know? Yeah. This, you know, this is an episode for our moms and our, you know, aunts and uncles <laughs> and the composers families and all the people who might be interested in the trailer industry but not work in the trail industry. And so if we can sort of explain things a little bit more then maybe you'll, <laughs> you know, be able to follow along, along a little bit better with us when we're just like jumping in as we have been the past seven weeks of like, boom, this trailer dropped and this teaser and this TV spot, and, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, my sister uh, reached out to me after like the second episode here and she's like, wow, you know a lot about the trail industry. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm not too sure what was happening, but it like, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah. um, the most interesting aspects of this job for me was learning about everything that went down, learning about Oh, Howard Shore uh, scored, custom scored the Return of the King uh, trailer for Lord of the Rings because he uh, wanted his name imprinted on it as opposed <laughs> to having Requiem of a Dream for Two Towers, you know? Yes. There, there's so many crazy stories of all that that I just think was is so, like, riveting for me because it's, like, another side of this industry. We all know these movies. We, we all know Top Gun or Star Wars or really any of this it's just another look into it you know seeing the campaigns roll around seeing how everything kind of works and how we and just in general where we all fit into this as publishers as composers uh, where we kind of uh, where we have value and yeah so it's just uh it's, it's always a cool thing like when i first started i knew nothing about trailers i literally didn't know a single client my first day was typing in Google, top trailer house, LA. <laughs> and then I proceeded to call all of them and get voicemails for every single person, you know? Like, that's literally how I learned about this industry was just trying to, like, figure it out. And um, when I started at Ghostwriter, uh, the guys, were, you know, they've been in the industry for forever, so they were able to tell me all these stories and kind of catch me up to it. And having, like, clients like Benny who uh, talk about his story for every project that he worked on back then in his early days. It's always like, wow, like these people are like legends. Yeah. He needs to have a TV show and just like a, <laughs> a weekly TV show where he <laughs> talks about these campaigns. Cause they're insane. He, yeah. He needs like a Netflix documentary based on him or they need to make a movie on him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a thousand percent. Yeah, like he's just hanging out with the Beatles, you know, or something <laughs> like that. So I think it's it's always super, super cool. And I'm always uh, – it, it makes me feel, like, not worthy sometimes to be here hearing how, like, how long and established a lot of these people are. And it's always interesting to kind of uh, find myself kind of amongst them in, in the sense where I'm just kind of – I feel like I'm just kind of – playing house and just trying to figure it out every single day and then yeah yeah I mean, but it's also kind of like a young industry too right like yeah you know the, a lot of the editors are coming through and new music supervisors are coming up and you know 
it's staying fresh, but you're always going to have these luminaries like Benny out there, like overseeing things and teaching the next generation. But yeah. I, I do feel like it's kind of a, a young, um, I th- someone was joking the other day that customs are a young person's game, you know, and it's like everyone that does customs is under 30 or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, that's not true, but you know, it does feel it, like a sport a lot of days, more so than music. You know, I do get that. There, uh, yeah. So we're talking about all this stuff, but I mean, we're really not talking about the amount the amount of work that goes into it. I mean, you know, music supervisors are working; they're not working nine to five. They're working t- mm-hmm. almost twenty four hours a day, getting like texts and calls and trying like, oh, we need to replace this music. Yeah, and you've got you've got like overnight editors that their whole job is to like be on call at two in the morning. If something comes up and they need to make a quick change. Um, and they're, you know, they're putting in like 60 hours a week. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. There's rushes and, you know, working over holidays. Yeah. It's more than we can really explain in an hour podcast. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, you know, like you might be uh, a custom composer might be working on this one project, And let's just say it's a tight one. It's overnight. That music supervisor is also working on that project on top of all the other projects. Times we talked about how you might be working with one editor that the music supervisor is working with all the editors (laughs) and making sure they're all happy. So it's like the editor is waiting for the music supervisor to get that music from you who in turn you're waiting to get it from the composer. But, you know, (laughs) we're all working on these like deadlines who are imposed by on high. Yeah, exactly. You know, the music supervisors aren't really setting the deadlines. They're just, no. they're they're compartmentalizing their projects also because at the same time, depending on what music supervisor it is, they want buffer time to make sure that it's correct and they have time mm-hmm. to make fixes and changes so that they're not, what they would say, their back isn't up against a corner, you know? So I, I try. That's why, that's where us as publishers, that's where our stress comes in, yeah. especially for the non-cattle calls and we're just working with one composer because it has to be right. Because if it isn't right, that is the music supervisor who has to present something that's not right to an editor and the editor's not going to be happy and then they're yeah. going to get mad at them and they might get mad at us. So, um, yeah. All because so, yeah. by waiting for <laughs> the, the new cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Marvels. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, just just because they're up against a wall, we're all up against a wall. So it's not. It's I get it. <laughs> it's just got to get done. <laughs> yeah, it has to get done. And you know, and the the funniest thing about that, right, is like it, we might need to deliver something by like nine a.m. the next morning. Yeah, and then we turn that in, and then it might be weeks <laughs> or months before someone comes back to us and is like, "Oh, we need to make a change." No, yeah, totally. You, you and just I, never know. Yeah, like in my head, I always kind of go through these resentments in my head. I'm like, <laughs> especially in the early days when I was doing the customs and stuff, and I'm like, we've had three weeks of short turnarounds of like three-hour turnaround, half an hour turnaround, four-hour turnaround, next day turnaround. If you just gave me the three weeks, can you imagine how good that track would have sounded? <laughs> it was just a collection of short turnarounds that added up to like three or four weeks you know so or like, or would you have waited to the last minute to try to do them all <laughs> <laughs> that is also true i That's have massive adhd and i always talk i always tell my uh my clients that when i talk to them on the phone i'm like i have adhd so i'm writing all this down i'm repeating everything you guys are saying because i will forget this <laughs> yeah so completely understood i completely get it but yeah it's uh that is our industry in a nutshell i know that uh there's never really a good opportunity for like people that are newer in the industry to kind of ask those kind of questions of how processes work and stuff like that like uh, for all my custom writers and stuff like i've come up with like terminology sheets of mm-hmm. of of phrases and stuff that i know the industry uses a lot, or at least editors and music supervisors uses a lot that I didn't learn when I was just writing for publishers and stuff. Like when people talk about pods, cast runs, (laughs) pods, cast runs, stomp downs into title. Hey, you know, that, that leads us into a new segment that we want to introduce. We need to come up with a, a pithy name for it. That's cool. But basically what we want to do is we want to take some of those terms or maybe you get like a a brief 
that you're working on as a composer and there's something that's kind of, kind of sort of like hard to understand or vague or like yeah. you're just not quite sure. And so we want to read those and then give our interpretations of maybe some ideas of what we think it is. Uh, so I've got one and it says, can we make this sound more open? Can we make this more open sounding? <laughs> Brian Lynn, how would you interpret that? Um, not I knowing would... what the original music is, just okay. in general. I, and also noting, I don't know the genre, the campaign, yep. Yep. The, if it's a remix, a catalog, or anything. If someone were to tell me, I want this to open up, right? Yeah. Or feel more open. What was it? What was it? Make it more open sounding. Yeah, I would take that as a, a breakout. I would take that as a complete breakout. And if um, there are scenarios, if the song is really, really busy, let's say there's a lot of like moving 16th note syncopated drums or something like that. It's a really busy back end. It's ramping and ramping and ramping and ramping. My first instinct would be like, all right, let's take this back end. Let's ex let's just double it. Let's just double the back end right now. Let's say if it's 30 seconds, let's just make it a minute long. Halfway through, when you're supposedly ending your track, that ramp, 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 triplet, 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 boom, it goes into that back end. But instead of it having all these busy drums, busy strings, anything like that, we're opening it up. We're opening up the harmony. We're letting it breathe. And we're allowing that to cascade in a sense and really get you the grandeur sense of scale of everything before bringing it back in for the close. And that's how I would interpret opening it up. I could be wrong. <laughs> right. Well, we could be wrong, but that's, yeah, I agree. I, I think that as well. I think that maybe you're talking about like taking out some of those ostinato strings and some of those triplets and just making it be like, you know, chordal, big, yeah. open, yeah. maybe more reverbs. Yeah. Going instead of, you know, half timing the, 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 um, the chord changes and just making them like longer and, yeah, jeez, yeah. it could be could be anything. Um, the, the, what I, what I, anytime I hear "open up," I hear I hear montage. I hear like, oh, mm -hmm. this for like the final final moment before the the close off before the before the uh, main title, or it could be the main title that it wanted it to open up for. So if that's the case, it they would, it's the same essential note for me. It would be to lose all those really focus on those chords. I would just put the hits and cymbal hits and stuff like that on the downbeat of the chords and stuff yep. like that. Really having that just really breathe. And then worst cases, worst cases, the little trick to throw riser underneath it, boom, done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, feels good and big and stuff. And honestly, I that that would be that would be if I just read that, that would be my first instinct to do. Yeah, I think it's it's a kind of an interesting segment because we get all these different notes and it might be a note from an editor or a producer or a music supervisor and maybe they don't have a degree yeah. in, you know, classical composing or something like that. So they're sending these notes out in the way that makes sense to them. Yeah. And we're trying to interpret and send them to composers in the way that makes sense to us. Uh so yeah, we we want you guys to <laughs> send us yeah. a uh, don't ever us. tell us though. Don't ever tell us the campaign. No. Or don't or tell us any. who said this. Don't tell the client <laughs> or the campaign or the publisher. Keep it completely anonymous because we're not trying to do the publisher's job <laughs> for you. But I think it's always a good buffer just in case for the future. Because uh yeah, like for example, I have one. I have one for you then. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so this section feels good. I want it to feel like it's getting faster. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That, that's the note. That's the email note right there. I haven't gotten that recently, but I have gotten that sure. before. Yeah, and to me, I think that's the opposite of the make it more open, right? It's the, to kind of bring it in and make it more frenetic and energetic and maybe go double time with your drums and the hits, add that riser bring in more of the ostinatos and the, you know, staccato strings yeah, and, and just really focus on a ramp. See, I like that. I like the way you, I like that. That was your first instinct and your first in that your first instinct wasn't, okay, let's speed up the BPM on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's change the BPM. We'll switch keys. <laughs> Cause honestly, whenever a client wants me to, uh, uh, make things quote unquote faster. I just put it on the grid and then just 
uh, move up the syncopation, the rhythmic syncopation. If it's eighth notes, then it's doing sixteenth note triplets. It's doing sixteenth notes. It's doing thirty second note triplets. It's 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 emulating the. You're sense not changing of speed. the BPM, but you're yeah, increasing the speed. Staying on the grid. Staying yes. on the grid because I want the editor. Someone's to be able got to cut to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a. Uh, the only time I'm confident of doing like a decelerando or any of that stuff is for like main title stuff and that's stuff that's going to be completely separate and stuff i think the last time i did a decelerando was for the midnight sky for the radiohead custom and i did oh, i slowed down it. the piano at the end and that was literally only because i kept playing and the click track was off and i'm like uh so i just slowly was playing as i was looking at the screen because my keyboard is far away from the computer screen <laughs> and then it just slowed down I'm like all right let's we're going with that you know so like it's the only time I'm ever confident in doing any sort of decelerando of speed or anything like that. I know that there have been trailers that have used it. Return of the King was one of them. Um, but, um, but yeah, that that's the first instinct. But good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's I think that's fun. I think that'll be something we can do kind of yeah. once a week is take one of those things. And yeah. um, hopefully that's like a tip that composers listening can kind of think about if they get stuff like that in the future. Dope. But otherwise, I think we did it, man. Man, it's already been an hour? Wow. It's been over an hour. I think people are falling yeah. asleep on their drive to work. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a history class. It's like a college-level course for free. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Bam. Um, yeah, but until next time, follow us on the social medias. We're on the Twitter. No, it's not the Twitter. It's the, it's the, the X. X. Uh, Instagram, Facebook threads we still are doing threads i don't know um we, our website trailertherapypod.com there's still a link to our merch shop <laughs> you can get a t-shirt <laughs> with our pictures on it uh some stickers some good stuff we're, we're mailing out some stickers to some friends of ours yeah and join our discord all these links are going to be in the show notes yeah and as always leave us a five-star review and type some words about us the five stars are great i love seeing them i'd love to see some more words because i think that weighs more heavily on the algorithms a couple of weeks ago we were the number two tv and film podcast in like romania in, in romania <laughs> um, killing it in probably romania. behind the golden bachelor weekly recap i don't know <laughs> so yeah that was yeah. fun let's get to number one in romania yes yeah, with those reviews yeah if we hit number one romania we're gonna make a romanian shirt that's literally us but it's we, just gonna be yeah. when we take the show on the road, Romania is gonna be our first live show. <laughs> That's our first and last. We're gonna end there too. Awesome, man. We'll cue the outro music. Oh.